Welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jessie Parker Humphreys, joined as always by my co-host, Abdullah Abdullah, ahead of Chelsea's WSL return on Sunday. It's a big one to get us going in 2023 against Arsenal at the Emirates. Um, so we're here today, we're going to do a little preview of the game. We are going to get the Arsenal perspective on the game later in the show from Tim Stillman of Blog, but we wanted to obviously give Chelsea pride of place. So we are going to get right into it with the Chelsea side of things. Abdullah, how are you feeling about this match? Nervous, tense. It's, you know, teens coming back after a couple of weeks off, which is both a good and a bad thing. Good, they're refreshed, they're recharged. They, 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 they spend some time in sunny Spain, so... You know, you'd think they'd be fresh and ready to go. No injuries, you know, they fly. But I'm also worried because it's it's momentum lost and they've got to start again. And it's, you know, you worry about the slow starts that they've had. Will it kick in again? But is it, you know, but, you know maybe the opposition will motivate them to start better. So it's it's a very it's it's a coin flip this game really I, I think in 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 terms of uh, in terms of my nerves it could, it could literally go anywhere. Yeah, I really I've been trying to think about this game obviously all week. You know, I've been doing preview pieces, talking about it, and I really can't figure out how I see it going. I think if we cast our minds back to before the winter break. Chelsea went on a bit of a strange run, right? There was the 8-0 win against Leicester. Amazing, but it's Leicester. The 1-1 draw against Real Madrid. Then there's this game against Reading where we're 3-0 up and suddenly, you know, two minutes of madness, it's 3-2. Bit nervy ending. Vlatsnia we beat 4-0, but I think everyone agrees wasn't a great performance. But then we kind of like went into Christmas with a smile on our faces because the 3-0 win against Paris Saint-Germain at the bridge was really really good it's tough like you said then when we've got this break because it's not like Chelsea went into the winter break in amazing form but it's always going to be hard right when a team's losing its momentum yeah I think so I I think I think we I think I think the team had a really good string of results and 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 while they weren't playing at their best you know obviously we've talked about Certain individuals and, and their form, you know, Sam Kerr before the PSG game, you know, she scored that wonder goal, you know, there was question marks over her form, you know, how is, you know, how's Frank Kirby going to fit, you know, um, obviously we talked about the Ingle Cuthbert double pivot was playing really well, uh, girl right in, in, in the, you know, you know, uh, in the form of her life, but yeah, it's it, it's tough because then you know the players that were in form, you can't even rely on them to continue their momentum and, and go into this game thinking, all right, cool. At least we know that, for example, Guru Wright and Sophie Ingle, Aaron Casper, Millie Bright, like these players are at the top of their game, and they just you know played a few days ago. They'll play again, and you more often than not, you're gonna you're gonna get a performance out of them. Whereas going now, they've not played for a few weeks, and it's like you have no clue how they're gonna perform. You know, hopefully not, but you, you never know. Like. Go right and just has a horrible game and you know things turn on its head but equally at the same time I think you can say that it, it becomes a, a welcome return for some players like you know Yelena Kankovic had a few injury problems you know hopefully now you think she's over them uh Frank Kirby is fully fit and firing you know can come back in fresher than, than most of the other players having not played too many minutes in the first half of the season um you know and and and, and you know so, so I, I think it very much just it's it just it depends on it depends on the team it depends on the on the injuries and it depends on where you came from like you know you know like like I said 
injuries that happen to players, this just gave them a chance to get over it. And for them, this is a fresh start and it could be better. But it's just a worry about the players who were in form, whether they can pick back up where they left off and, and whether the team as a, as a collective can um, can start brightly and, and put pressure on Arsenal. I'm going to need you to stop manifesting Gura Wrighton having a bad game. Oh, no, game. no, no. I, I, like, I, we don't want any no, of we that. We don't want any of that. We, we, we want, we want Gura Wrighton to score a hat-trick of assists uh, for Sam Kerr, for the perfect hat-trick uh, for Sam Kerr. That's, that's what we're manifesting. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. No, but I totally get what you're saying. Like, I'm obviously just having a bit of a joke. Because you're right. Like, and we've seen this with Chelsea before, right? They come back from international breaks they come into new seasons and they can sometimes look a bit edgy I do think you know talking about Sam she's one player who I really think might have benefited from this break obviously she got to go home to Australia have a little bit of break there um I feel like we kind of saw at the end of last season that maybe she kind of was a little bit tired she wasn't scoring at the rate we're used to but I don't think her performances were bad but maybe just indicated that like that little bit of concentration that you get from a player when they're in like top top form um and maybe fallen off a bit and I think she's someone who 2023 is going to be a massive year for her right like we've spoken before but we're building up to a world cup in Australia and she is going to captain Australia at the world cup like as much as Sam loves Chelsea, I'm sure, like, that's going to be the pinnacle of her career. And I think that will also be a great motivator for her, though, to to really perform in the in the time leading up to that, to have her confidence really high. So I actually am really excited to see what level we can expect from Sam, who's also had to adjust to, like, some changes around her in terms of who's playing where and things like that. Let's talk about the fixture of Arsenal-Chelsea. Last season, we played Arsenal four times and had a very strange mix of results. So we'll start off first. Obviously, we are going back to the Emirates, to the site of Arsenal's famous 3-2 win featuring, you know, Jonas falling down on his knees, um, Beth Mead being declared WSL wonder girl because she can drift offside and score a goal. Um... It was a it was a very very fun game in hindsight. Like the fact that we won the league, I can kind of like look back and be like, "Oh, this was kind of a lot of fun." But do you think it will be an advantage, Abdullah, for Arsenal to like know that they had such an important win at the Emirates against Chelsea last season, or do you think that win got tainted a little bit because actually, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really mean that much. I think there'll be a little bit of. Um, I, I think it's a little bit of a false sense of security for them. I, th- I think they'll they'll take a little bit of heart in the fact that they won the game, right? That they 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 had a re- w- you know winning result at the Emirates the last time they played them there. So I think that psychologically will be like yes, you know we've won here before against this opponent. But at the same time, I think everybody everybody would know and everything everybody knows that that that, that you know. If it wasn't for those offsides, those those goals don't those goals possibly don't come in. 
And, you know, and, and they either get away with a draw or Chelsea even win, go on to win that game, d- despite the, the, the way they played. I mean, yes, I mean, arguably Arsenal had good moments in that, in that, in that first game, especially in midfield and the way they transitioned and they, and they caused Chelsea a few issues. But I think we got to go back and remember Chelsea historically have always started off really poorly. So to play your first game away from home, top opponent, big stadium, big lights, you know, there was always a very good chance that Chelsea would have, would have lost that game similarly this season they played Liverpool and they lost right two penalties whatever it was they still lost the game so I think I think I think that in a weird way goes in Chelsea's favor where everyone's like well you beat Chelsea but everybody knows Chelsea aren't great for the first one or two three games of the season so can you now do it mid-season you know coming back fresh off a you know off, off a off a winter break and produce the same thing and, and maybe now if anything Chelsea all have had three four months six months to gather their team together fix up the starting 11 that they want and have at least half the team in really good form so I think it's a mixed bag I think the only thing also can take away from this is basically saying look we ourselves are in decent form but we know what happened at the Emirates yeah we won but we know what happened and not to mention they've now lost two of their best players so I think that will play another factor to them, right? No Miedema, no Beth Mead anyway. And now they're thinking, all right, how do we adjust? You know, we had those players last season. We don't have them anymore. So I think without even doing anything, I think there's a little bit more pressure on Arsenal just because of those reasons, you know, going into it. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, not to like overly rehash the last time we played at the Emirates, but Chelsea were playing the back three for the first time ever. They, we also had players coming back from the Olympics. So I believe Sam Kerr didn't start. I don't think Frank Kirby started because Emma Hayes kind of wanted to give them more time. All of those things, I think, had a big impact on the game. Obviously, then played them three more times the rest of that season. There's the fantastic 3-0 FA Cup win, which is still one of my favourite Chelsea games ever, just because it was such a complete performance. Could have been more. To be fair, well, not to be fair to Arsenal, because I thought, that was just one of the best times I've ever seen Chelsea play. But part of the reason they were able to do that was because Arsenal had, did have a makeshift defence for that game. Then there was the 0-0 draw at King's Meadow, which was quite even. But let's be real, we should have had a penalty. So thanks, Leah Williamson. Um, and then the FA Cup semi-final win 2-0 at Meadow Park. I feel like, I don't know, generally, Chelsea have a pretty good recent history over Arsenal there's been some very very dominant wins in previous seasons and in some ways I still see Manchester City as as almost more of our bogey team than I do Arsenal I feel like obviously that that game at the start of the season aside which I felt like had quite explicable reasons behind it Chelsea generally seem to have got into a place with Arsenal where they're like when these games matter knockout games you know games where they're holding on to the potential of winning the league like the game at King's Meadow they feel confident in being like we can contain this Arsenal team yeah no I agree I mean I was just looking at some um, some head-to-head records and I don't know if this is entirely accurate but I'm going to go with it Um, it says that we've played Arsenal 31 times and Chelsea have won 16 of those 31 games and there are five draws and Arsenal have won 10 so Already, you can see that you know Chelsea have even not even recent history in all their you know in the entire history of the two teams playing together, Chelsea have a have a six win six win advantage over over Arsenal. You know they've even won nine times at Meadow Park and seven times at Kings Meadow. So it's 
one of those it's one of those situations where you're like well you know for the most part they've always had it i know i mean and, and chelsea have you know you you we, i think i remember it was a couple of seasons ago and one of the games was a draw then the next time they played it was like a four it was a 4-1 win if i'm not wrong one, one of the games and so you know chelsea have proven that across a season a league season playing against arsenal they may drop points in the sense of going a nil nil or a one one in one of the games but inevitably the second time they play arsenal it's it's always a route because then the the pressure again like i said was poor i think the pressure builds on arsenal because they know of their recent history of being not being able to take away points when one result goes like all right it's a point each shared and they don't get the three points it puts even more pressure on them for the next game because it usually that more often than not comes to the business end of the season when points are so important and you know, I think one thing that we've always said about Chelsea is they are, they're like stone cold killers. They are so good at closing out big games towards the end of the season when the points are needed. I just, I keep going back and I'm remembering Penela Harder scoring that 76th minute penalty. I think it was against Birmingham where the game was, they were just shutting up shop. There was no, oh my God, that, that, is, game. that was so intense. But then we get the penalty and Penela just steps up and, and finishes it, right? And there was just, there was just no, there was ice cold uh aura and her uh, you know and 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 body language and it was like well this is this is the Chelsea that doesn't know how to how, knows how to win titles and finish games so I think Chelsea will go in they will they won't feel I don't think they'll feel too pressured they're anyway head on ahead on points and 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 you know they'll know that this is Arsenal at home I will say one thing I think Chelsea know how to play on the counter better than Arsenal do so they're okay I think they are better set up to sit back, let Arsenal come onto them, and then beat them on the counter attack with the players that they have more than what Arsenal can do uh, going the other way. So I, I, I think it'll be a tough game for Arsenal. Yeah, and interestingly, the return fixture will be Chelsea, Chelsea's penultimate WSL game. So uh, it could be a much more important Chelsea Arsenal game coming later in the season. Um, okay, we are going to take a quick ad break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about predicted lineups. Thank you to our sponsors for supporting the show. Just want to give everyone a heads up with some of the cool stuff that's coming up on the London is Blue feed at the moment. We have a Gianluca Vialli tribute coming out soon. Um, the, the guys at the famous CFC have put together with some contributions from across the London is Blue team. Um, obviously, everyone just absolutely devastated to lose Vialli um, and everything that he meant to the club. So um, a really good opportunity to kind of sit with his his legacy and and pay respects to an absolute Chelsea legend um there's also obviously lots of movement on the men's side of things and Sam from CFC Central is absolutely just getting through that analysis so if you want to know about Andre Santos, Benoit Badiashile, João Felix Honestly, I can't keep up. Jalfi looks and Chelsea still looks very, very strange to me. Um, then get over onto the main feed and, and have a listen because it's such great detail and Sam's an absolute genius. Um, and also, we've got a new newsletter. You can get signed up to the dispatch. Head to our Twitter. We're all going to be getting involved, I think, with some of the writing on that, and that will keep you up to date with all the Chelsea news direct to your inbox. Okay, let's have a talk about Chelsea's last lineup. Um, before the winter break. So this was against PSG. We had Zajira Musevic in goal, back four of Neve Charles, Khadija Buchanan, Millie Bright, Magda Eriksson, Sophie Ingall and Aaron Cuthbert in midfield, a front three of Lauren James, Frank Kirby, Guru Wrighton and Sam Kerr up top. Uh, Abdullah, it feels like there's one obvious change, presuming Anne-Katrin Berger's fit. She will come back in, in goal. 
and I have seen her. She went to Spain, so I'm hoping she's okay. Um, otherwise, do you think this is the the team we're going to see on Sunday? Yeah, I, I I don't I don't think Emma Hayes is going to do too much uh, too much experimenting. I think I think knowing that for the most part this is the team that's been that's been that's been holding the holding the team over and and and, and it's, I think it's the most settled eleven. I mean, obviously, question. You know, obviously, there's this fifty-fifty split everywhere on Mag Derrickson playing as the, as the left as a pseudo left back. But you know, all things considered, I think this is this is the Chelsea lineup that's in. It's funny and, and probably maybe a question I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you on in a second. But the fact that Neve Charles obviously started that game against PSG, and then obviously you have a more natural right back in in Eve Parisse. I think the question comes down to is depending on who plays on the left side for Arsenal. Do you, do you? I mean, it's weird to almost to say that. Well, Neve Charles is is probably the better choice over Yves Parisse right now, and I don't think I would have said that six months ago when we signed Yves Parisse. You know, and in a game like this, you know, pacey wingers from Arsenal, you're going to need someone who's defensively solid. But I feel I feel like you know, uh, Charles has proven herself to to become to become this. Uh, this this really well-rounded fullback that's maybe still not the best defensive player, but has proven herself to be able to be defense, you know, positionally aware, better at the position now, and looks more natural and comfortable um, over there. Maybe my only my only not even question mark. If I'm just theory crafting for a second, do you then maybe want to play? One of Lauren James and Frank Kirby, and maybe get someone a little bit more. Um, defensive. Maybe this might be a game for Canterbury to come in on the on the right hand side and maybe stretch play against Arsenal's uh, against Arsenal's backline, um, especially because the pitch itself, the Emirates, is a bigger pitch. So if I think this might even suit Canterbury to have more space to run in behind and and do it, and we've seen the amount of time Chelsea have profited from from space in behind and running at players, and so. I might even, you know, may, I might even play like you put Lauren James up as as this number ten, and and you play Canterbury on the right hand side, and maybe bring on Fran Kirby to to make an impact later in the game. I don't know what you think. So there's probably two parts in there. One is the Canterbury part, and one is the Neve Charles part. Yeah, I think you're definitely right about the size of the pitch, and I think that's where Chelsea really struggled in that pre in that pre previous match. That's why Arsenal were able to find so much space. As I say, I think that was partially to do with this new formation, and you could tell that. Bright Eriksson and Carter hadn't really figured out the gaps between each other. Um, and Chelsea have played on big pitches a lot and hopefully they'll be better at that. I also think it will be interesting because the players who ran riot in that game in Beth Mead and Vivian Miedemar aren't there. They won't be playing. And I don't really think of Katie McCabe or Caitlin Ford, who is a, who I think will start um, on the wings for Arsenal of that pacey but Stina Blackstenius does like space in behind that is like supposedly her thing um so in terms of the Charles or Perisay thing I think I would still lean towards Perisay just because I feel like I agree with you I think Neve Charles is best recently has been higher than what we've seen from Eve but I also think Perisette's experience in a game like this and thinking back to those Euros performances in pressure games, how she was able to help shut down, you know, talented wingers 
in a really effective way, I think is something that could be really useful. And then maybe to have Neve Charles come on later and have a bit more of that dynamism going forward. Because I think that's something that's missing from Perisette at the moment. So maybe I would lean towards her, but I still wonder if Hayes actually will go with Charles. Because I just feel at the moment Hayes trusts Charles more, which is maybe fair enough. You know, like as we've said before, Hayes takes time to bed players in. It hasn't been a natural fit immediately for Perisette, I don't think. So, you know, maybe that that's there. The Canard thing is an interesting one. I don't think I'd drop Kirby if I was going to drop someone. I think I would drop Lauren. But I understand what you're saying. I think the only thing going against Canard is she's not given me a starter's performance yet that makes me think this is the moment to do it. And maybe it's different. Like, it's hard when you've had this break. And we've seen this a lot from Emma Hayes before. That she does go away on these breaks and comes back with this totally new idea. And maybe she's looked at how things have gone in Spain. And she thinks, actually, Canna is up for it. You know, there's a tweak I needed to make that wasn't getting the best out of her. Maybe it is about who's playing behind her as the fullback to allow her to do that work. The only thing that I think... Lauren James also has an advantage of is I think her off the ball work is still better than Canaridge right now and I think again that's something that could be really important to be honest I feel like the logic that you've used to say Canaridge should start could equally be used to say Canaridge should come on as a sub you know like there's going to be space let's wait till they're tired let's have Lauren James like keep control of the ball then let's unleash JRK but I can see it either way I just think you have to start Fran because she's magic. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I, I think, I, I think, I think, I, I probably, in hindsight, I would have probably dropped Lauren James. I think, I think after I said it, I'm like, no. Every time we write off anybody, writes off Frank Kirby, it's just like, no, actually, she's just, she's just way too good. I think she's just one of those players that you just get reminded every time. You're like, nah, she's like probably on her day the best player at that club, the hands down the best player at that club at, at, at times. So, um, yeah, I think I think maybe you, you and then you know you're talking about the super sub. You could even bring on the duo of Neve Charles and JRK off the bench at like 70 minutes or 65 minutes, and suddenly you're like, well, that entire right hand side is renewed and 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 and, and going forward. And, and Emma Hayes is not afraid of bringing off a fullback and bringing on a new one every single time. So. Yeah, it'll 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 certainly be interesting, and 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 um, I I I think I think just that 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 the fact that we can sit here and theory craft around who should be starting in in these couple of these key positions between Lauren Fran, you know, Eve Perisay, Neve Charles, JRK. If we're having trouble figuring this out, then at le- then that means Arsenal have to try and figure this out as well. Which means that at least the team isn't as predictable as probably it once was, which I think is is a good thing because I think there was a point where you could probably name ten out of eleven of the names on the team sheet and you know exactly how they're going to play. Now I feel like Chelsea have different options with the likes of JRK and obviously Kankovic can come on and play a different role now and 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 obviously with E. Perisay and Neve Charles that changes the dynamic because then 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 you're like well how does that affect the opposite side of the of the team you know with Eriksson playing as a bit more of a deeper defensive fullback you you allow Gurright to do her thing but then that means on the right hand side they have a bit more freedom because then you've got an attacking so I really like this unpredictableness coming from the starting eleven and and I think it's it's a welcome and needed change after after a long time yeah I totally agree and it's also a luxury we have that Arsenal just don't really have right now as well and that that will be I think a real benefit you know that well firstly we kind of know that Jonas doesn't really seem to 
trust his bench that much anyway, although he does seem, you know, like he's kind of clearing out the players he doesn't trust at the moment. But equally, they they just don't really have the bodies right now even to be able to do what, what Chelsea can do in terms of that depth. Um, where We've kind of started touching on this, but where do you see... Chelsea gaining an advantage over Arsenal and kind of vice versa what areas of the pitch are you worried about from an Arsenal perspective I I still think that their midfield I still think Arsenal's midfield is is, is dangerous I think Leah Volti and Frida Manum have been playing really really well I think that's been their strong point uh, along with the return of Williamson and, and Rafael Souza. I think I think that central core is probably where Arsenal are going to be the strongest and where I think Chelsea are going to have to be wary I think I mean the old added cliche, added cliche, but like Ingle and Cuthbert versus Volti and and Manum, I think is going to be where the game is won and lost. Whichever one of those th- those duos take advantage and do well, I think allows the rest of the team to play. Because I think from a fullback perspective, um, while you've got Catley and Marit, uh, Noel Maritz or Laura Weinrother, you know, equally on that right hand side, you could say, well, New Charles or if Harrisay versus one of Arsenal's right backs, it's a 50-50 split. But then on the left side, Catley's been playing more as a centre-back rather than a full-back in the last 12 months. So then do you then bank on Gur Wright and winning that battle over there? Um, you know, Blackstenius is, is a decent runner, you know, um, in and around the touchdown. So I think I think for Chelsea to take advantage, I think they've got to look at, um, they've got to look at going wide and maybe attacking the Catley corner. Um, more than anything else, uh, keep her pinned back and, and maybe depending on how far whichever right back is playing goes up, you can take advantage of that because, um, that's when the whole Lauren James, Girl Wrighton, uh, effect comes in and whoever's playing at 10, Kirby, whoever can, can kind of come in and, and make combination plays and, and get in space behind because I think centrally it's just going to be jam packed and I think that's where probably Arsenal and Chelsea, if anything, that entire central patch is just the strongest that they are. And it just comes down to, I think, that Chelsea have better wingers than Arsenal right now. McCabe and Ford versus Wrighton and James. I'm taking Wrighton and James probably eight times out of ten. So, yeah, I, th- I think for me that's where the battle's going to be won. Lost. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Arsenal's problem right now is that everyone they have going forward wants to kind of come in centrally. You know, choosing to play Katie McCabe on the right doesn't really make sense to me because you could have her on the left and she would give you more natural width with her left foot. But often she wants to come inside, obviously. Caitlin Ford equally is a player who likes to kind of come into the penalty area. I think from a Chelsea perspective, definitely going down the wings is a really good option and I think attacking Catley is exactly right um I did a preview piece around the second half of the WSL and I was looking at like Chelsea zones of control so areas where they have more than 50% of the of touches and one of the furthest forward bits is that right hand side and I'm sure that's because Lauren James is so good at keeping the ball there but that I think is a really great opportunity the only thing I will say about the flanks is an Arsenal player I've been really really impressed with this season is Laura Wienreuter and I do kind of think that Magda and Millie are going to have to be sensible with how they deal with potentially McCabe kind of coming inside, maybe taking away Millie in that situation, and then Magda having to deal with Wienreuter kind of bombing on. We've seen her willing to make those runs in the box. That goal she scored against Manchester United at the Emirates, like absolutely fantastic. It just comes from switching off. And I do still sometimes think there is a tendency 
for the Chelsea defence to do that around late runners or to just get a bit disorientated. And I think that's that would be my concern. And I think Guru Wrighton also has a role to play there as well. Um, and I think normally Guru is... She's got much more switched on since she obviously has to play left wing back. And I wonder if we will maybe see her potentially more in that quasi wing back role when we see kind of Chelsea roll round into that back three of Buchanan, Bright and Ericsson. So I definitely think that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, one question I kind of have about this match is how much do you think the result matters? Because to me, the past couple of seasons of the WSL, we have seen the title basically decided on random games, you know? Like, we're talking about Arsenal beating Chelsea 3-2 at the Emirates, but they lose to Birmingham. And that basically ends up handing Chelsea the title. We've seen... We know that Arsenal have only played one of their games against the top four so far this season. They've got five to go in, in this half, which Chelsea have already played three. But then equally, Chelsea normally feel better against those harder games than they do against some of the lesser ones. So <laughs> do you think if whoever wins this or it's a draw or... I mean, I think if it's a draw, right, we're, obviously stuff's like kind of business as usual. But do you think like if Chelsea were to win or to Arsenal to win, win it, was, it would have a big impact? No, because I think, like you've, you've said it, I think the league and titles have been determined on games that are not exactly the, the ones against the top four. I mean, like you said, we lost against Arsenal 3-2 at the Emirates, still won the title at the end of the day because Arsenal lost to Birmingham towards the end of the season. Equally, while we've, we've already lost Liverpool first game of the season, right? Arsenal have already lost to get, have lost one game as well, right? So... I, I think that the, the the penultimate game against Arsenal is going to be more important than here. So in a weird way, you can afford to kind of do whatever in terms of points in this game, whether it's 0-1 or 3, and still be able to get away with it knowing the fact that there's a is a, like an 80-85% chance that whether it's an Everton, whether it's a City, whether it's a United, um, or even a Spurs, um, you know, any one of these teams can come back and, 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 and even a Villa, obviously they're doing really well with their window, can come and take points off Arsenal. Because even if Arsenal start dropping, getting into draws, you know, for I mean, it could be one loss or it could be two two draws against anyone, any one of these teams. And suddenly Chelsea still have the advantage assuming, you know, they've won that game that week, right? So... A loss means they go equal on points. You know, Arsenal come equal on points. They play, they get onto twenty-seven points as well, and then you just kind of see how to, you just have to go and play the rest of the season and, and kind of and kind of hope that somebody picks up points because I I think the league has gotten to the point where now it's very very difficult for any one team now to to go the remaining games of the season unbeaten in terms of like just keep grinding out a win if not draw you know if not uh, if not draws. And it's almost inevitable that, that I think all of the top four are going to drop points in some capacity. So I think it's just going to make for a roller coaster end of the season. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's, there's obviously a long way to go. The only thing I do think about this game, and this is why I feel like I've become kind of zen, is that I think if Chelsea don't <laughs> win, I'm not, I'm not particularly worried. Like, I think there's a lot more of the season to go. I think if Chelsea do win, I feel very, very good. Just because the amount of tough games that Arsenal still have, the injuries they have. I think we've seen Chelsea 
just once they get a hold of a real points gap, because obviously right now it's kind of like game in hand points gap, once they have that in their mouths, like, they just do not let that go. Like, they're very, very impressive at kind of psychologically holding on. I do think the Champions League might have an impact on that. I've said that before, I know. But I feel like Chelsea will be in a very good position to win. And to that extent, I feel like there's a lot more pressure on Arsenal around this game. That being said, if Arsenal win, I find Jonas so fucking irritating. It will personally <laughs> drive me up the wall. Even though, with my analyst hat on, I think, realistically, it wouldn't be, you know, the be-all and end-all of anything. But, okay, <laughs> um, let's just do a little bit of a quick uh, results prediction, and then we're going to have a, a quick chat about some nice Chelsea news that happened this week. Uh, Abdullah? You can uh, go first. What? How are you calling this one? <sighs> I, th- I think I think I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a dr- I think it might just be a high a high scoring draw. So I'm gonna call it a two two. That would be fun. I would I would take that result. Yeah. Um. I I had initially yeah. also thought it was a draw because I just think it's so classic when these games get really built up and I think Arsenal will feel like they've got a lot to lose and I think Chelsea will kind of be like we're not fussed about like what we risk in this game so I had been going to say 1-1 but then I was asked on Sky and um, Tim Stillman who's about to be our guest said 1-1 um, I've probably spoiled his prediction now for later in the episode because I assume he'll stick with it we'll find out guys <laughs> listen on and see whether he's stuck or twist since 1pm uh, um, I went 2-0 Chelsea and so now I've said it so I've got to go with it 2-0 Chelsea that's what I'm saying Fair enough. Okay, we will find out on Sunday. Um, Before we uh, sign off with you, Abdullah, because we are going to swap you out for Tim smoothly, Uh, great news this week. Melly Leupoltz has renewed, signed a new contract with Chelsea, keeping her at the club until the summer of 2026. This is just so great to see, isn't it, in terms of a player who we know is really important and has been a really important part of Chelsea's midfield, has taken that time off to have a baby, and everyone was a bit like, don't know when she's coming back, don't know how she's going to come back, don't know how she's going to feel about it, but this is just a really, like, I feel like this is just a really positive sign about the kind of club Chelsea is. Oh yeah, for sure, and and I, I think I think it's it's nice to see that uh, you know even after being out for such a long time and essentially not playing for, for almost a year, that Chelsea are like, no, we still believe in your ability, and we still believe that you'll come back as better as ever and, and, and be able to contribute to this team and you have a place in this starting eleven. I think possibly one and, and now we obviously know, but I think, you know, this entire time one of the reasons maybe they didn't buy an extra central midfielder was because they like they knew that they were going to re-sign Malini Loipols and that she would eventually need that space back into the into the side. And if they buy somebody somebody else then um, you know that kind of maybe dilutes her position. Maybe it changes it changes things. I still think she has a lot to give. I mean, let's let's be real. When she was playing before she got before she was pregnant, she was consistently a top performer for Chelsea. Uh, scoring goals from 35, 40 yards, keeping play ticked over. I felt like she was the player that I felt like she was probably one of Chelsea's ultimate transition players in terms of really good box to box player. Whenever Chelsea got the ball in midfield, there was this composure and this efficient presence in the middle that was able to take the ball from back to front without worrying too much. And it's almost like ever since she dropped out of that midfield, we've been talking and struggling, obviously up until now, 
how does Chelsea control this midfield? How do they get the ball? How do they transition the ball out? You know, we we you know you know we talked about this ago directly from defense to attack. I, I'm I don't know the stats right now, but maybe off off the top of my head, I would assume that there's been a lot more diagonals and a lot more long balls being played into the front line since she's been dropped up more than she when she was there and 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 while it probably was mixed when she was there because Magda's playing a bit more of a center back role I still feel like she was used a lot more and I think the biggest thing is her late runs into the box I think that is just something that this team could really use um and and that was really good then I think maybe that's one of the reasons they wanted to target Gracioro right play that similar sort of box to box role do the same thing and, and kind of play from there. So I, I'm excited. I, I love the fact that she's re-signed, and it's kind of put uh, put in the summer. It's not it's not a huge priority to go and get another midfielder. Like yes, maybe get another number six to to replace Ingle eventually, but that necessity of have to get one without fail goes away now that we have Leupold's re-signing. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I do think it it's funny because I think this is a luxury, but it feels like. We've spent the past year figuring out how do we build a midfield without Loipols. And then it's like, okay, we kind of got it. We got it down. And then suddenly she's back. And we're like, okay, like, what do we do now? Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Emma Hayes looks at bringing her back into the squad. Just because, obviously, what we've really seen over this period of time is Erin Cuthbert's kind of development into that role. Although maybe with the bigger defensive elements, more so than Leupold's, although she's not bad defensively at all. What will be fascinating to me is, obviously we saw Erin kind of start the season as the deepest lying midfielder, but it's felt like Sophie Ingle, she's performed really well, she's kind of come back in and, and taken that spot, and Erin's gone, okay, great, I'll be an eight. Do you think this is a situation now where we see Erin reverting to that deeper role and Leupold's kind of comes in as that eight, or are we just going to see those three players basically rotate for the two spots? That's a good question. Um, I think the fact that Erin has proved that she can play as the deeper number six maybe then reverts the type where you say, okay, Erin and, and Sophie will rotate for that number six role because anyway, Sophie being at the footballing age that she is can't play every single game, every single week and every single you know competition. So you're going to need some rotation there. Maybe right now it's not there, but with with Eloipol's coming back, there is. So I can see Aaron dropping in there. And I think maybe even going to next season, maybe Chelsea do go and say, all right, we'll go and find another uh, another player. Or you play, you have Kankovic and, and Leupold just rotating for one position and you have Ingle and Cuthbert rotating for the other position. And between these three, four players, you know, Emma Hayes will just kind of mix and match and go. And she can do that this season. And if she, And if it works... That that works going into the new season, and that same budget and money can be used to fill up whatever other outgoings that might be there, or any sort of other incomings that can be spent on uh, can be spent. Because if certain contracts are are not renewed, then those positions are going to be, need to be refilled with players who are equally as good and equally as important, and that's going to require a bigger budget. Obviously, prices of players are going up. We've seen it with. Kira Walsh going across for about four hundred and fifty thousand pounds. We've seen now Bethany England going for about two fifty k. Lauren James came in for two hundred. So these prices are going up. I mean, we bidded what, for half a million for Gracioro. So if we're looking at half a million for a world class central midfielder, you're gonna need you're gonna need 
to, to, to kind of maybe look wisely and at, at where you can maybe save on an extra transfer and put that budget towards maybe that one or two positions that need it rather than maybe a position where, like you said, I think it's maybe a little more of a luxury if we can get somebody in that position. Yeah, I definitely think it will be interesting. You know, it sounds like Chelsea's interest in Gayoro is as strong as it was. Um, and presumably Chelsea have kind of been aware for a while that, you know, Loiports was likely to stay. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if it's still pursued because suddenly then you're like, wow, this is kind of quite a lot of players um, in that position. Uh, but definitely one to keep an eye on and be interesting to see, you know, if Loiports gets minutes back against against Arsenal potentially, um, which is just going to be be fantastic. Um, so yes, there's some good news um, coming out of the club. Love seeing the club getting these contracts done. All right, Abdullah, we will sign off from you for now. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Um, and we will be back after this ad break with Tim Stillman. Hello and welcome back. We are joined now by Tim Stillman. We've replaced Abdullah with an Arsenal fan instead. Tim Stillman from Ask Blog. Tim, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. My pleasure, I think. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've done the favour the other way around a couple of times, so Indeed. it's only fair to drag you over to this side instead. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, we've been we've been chatting about the game, massive game on Sunday. I think the thing that's maybe most interesting, in some ways I feel like Arsenal are more interesting in this game than Chelsea, mm. just because how much has kind of changed over the past two months maybe so yep. let's kind of start with the big things no Beth Mead no Viv Miedemar they're not coming back anytime soon what impact do you think that's going to have on the team and how do you think Jonas is going to kind of look to solve those problems yeah sure so I mean that's 40% of our goals from last season wiped out and that's just the scoring of the goals you add in the assists and you're well over half of Arsenal's goals come from one or both of those two in various combinations. So that that's a lot to lose. Um, I don't think you have to be a big tactical expert to understand that. And, uh, and I mean, it's especially frustrating because Arsenal spent most of the first half of the season without their first, uh, their first choice centre-halves. They made some changes. They made some tactical tweaks to cope with that. And then they come back and immediately they lose their most important attackers. So, I mean, there's a few things. Um, one of the more interesting developments is that Freedom Mornham was kind of beginning to make that number 10 spot. I mean, it's probably too much to say her own because it's Viv Miedema's spot, but she was actually doing pretty well there anyway. Um, and Jonas has always liked this player. It's one of the few players that was bought before he was appointed last summer that he actually really, really wanted and really liked and just struggled to get her in the team. So now she's like in the team, you know, uh, kind of indefinitely. So she's done very, very well, not least because she drives into that kind of left half space quite well. And I think Arsenal's still relatively right-sided bias kind of team because of Beth. But I mean, what they've been doing to this point is playing Katie McCabe on the right. And really what happens there is Katie shifts in and basically is like a left number 10, uh, sorry, a right number 10. And Frieda's like a left number 10. And then Stina Blackstinius runs the channels, basically. That's what Arsenal do, more or less. And then Caitlin Ford, you know, really attacks the, 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 uh, the right back. So... The thing is, all of these players are good players, but they're streaky 
in front of goal. Caitlin Ford is streaky in front of goal. Stina Blackstinius is streaky in front of goal. Katie, um, you know, not a prolific goal scorer, quite a prolific creator. So, and and what Arsenal have bought so far in the window is other creators, which I feel like maybe um, you know goes some way to amending the creative part of the game they've lost with with Viv and Beth. Um, with all their assists and things like that. The goal-scoring part, essentially what's going to have to happen, and Arsenal will bring in a striker in this window um, as well, but what's going to have to happen is some of those players are just going to have to step up and they're going to have to start scoring in, you know, start getting the the one in two, two in three. Um, to be fair, I think Freedom Mornham is actually showing that kind of potential in front of goal, which is quite weird because she's, you know, she's a midfielder essentially. But yeah, I, I think I am worried about that long term. I, I I don't I like you can't not be. You can't not be. You can't lose two players like that and not worry about it in the long term. So as for how it take shape after Christmas, I'm not sure if they've had a little bit more time to work on things, but essentially what's been happening. Is Katie McCabe plays on the white on the right? I get my words out, and and so Arsenal are playing slightly more with like dual number tens at the moment, which is a a, a bit of a different way uh, to what they usually do. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be an interesting couple of months for Gina Blackstenius, who's a player I really can't figure out because I think she gets mm-hmm. into good positions, and I think honestly, if she just shot a bit more, she would yep. probably just score more goals. Um, because I think where she ends up is normally good um so I do think more goals will come from her in this time period um but I yeah I totally agree I think the the signings have been really interesting in that they're obviously long-term signings Katrina Cool, Victoria Pulova two incredibly highly rated players and justifiably so even Mm -hmm. at their ages um Pulova especially is just a player who chef's kiss I think is fantastic um but how soon do you think we might see these players come into the team? Because mm. because of their ages, they are long-term signings. But actually, because of the injuries, there's maybe more opportunity for them to come in than there would have been. Because I assume these have kind of been long-term targets for Arsenal anyway. So there would have been a development plan. But is there is there any chance, do you think, we see them at the Emirates? Uh, definitely in the squad that you know they'll be in the squad all the time absolutely I think essentially my my and this is reading between between the lines and not official but I'm pretty sure what happened with Victoria Pelova was there was interest during the summer she signed a one-year deal with Ajax I think it was always pretty set she'd come to Arsenal in the summer but Arsenal had brought it forward basically is, is what I believe has happened with that deal and that's because of the injury situation but Victoria Pulova has played wide quite often, um, particularly for the national team, not her best position, but that's not how Jonas described her um, when Arsenal signed her. So effectively, what I think is going on here is Catherine Cool. I mean, a cent- what's going to happen in Arsenal's midfield is Jordan Nobbs has left, Mane Iwabuchi is going to leave, and Cool and Pulova have come in. So that's that's the two replacements right there, basically, I think. Um, and, and that's kind of maybe medium term. In the long term, um, I read a really good piece that uh, Yash um, put together, who um, who a lot of people know for his data viz work and things on on Twitter. And he he wrote about Catherine Cool and looked at all of the data. And she does a lot of Kim Little stuff. She's a great dribbler. She loves playing on the right of a midfield three, which is exactly where Kim Little plays. So I actually think it's quite smart because 
in women's football in particular, it just doesn't work to buy young players and think, oh, that's the long-term, like if you buy the long-term successor to Kim Little, Kim's 32, she's not 40, like she can still play and start for Arsenal for another three years. That's very easy to envisage. If you buy someone now and groom them, as it were, like their contract's up, it's not going to work. So I think kind of medium term, Catherine Cole will be the replacement for Jordan Nobbs. But in the long term, maybe there's a look at her becoming like the new Kim Little, effectively. Uh, and yeah, so I, I think basically what will happen is the midfield three will be quite set. Leo Volti, Kim Little and Frieda Mornham. And Victoria Palova um, and Catherine Cole, I think, will rotate in. Um, they'll come on in pretty much every game. They'll start the odd game. And I think what's going to happen basically in January for Arsenal is the squad is not going to get hugely bigger, but it's just going to have more players that Jonas wants. So like Katrin Cool will play more minutes than Mana Iwabuchi, like no doubt in my mind. So it is gaining a player, even though you've swapped one out. And the same with Jordan. Jonas never never really took to, to Jordan or Jordan's qualities and whatever people think of that it just makes sense to kind of cut the cord and get someone in you do want. So I think they'll take those squad places in midfield and that will be their role initially. But obviously the hopes for both of them will be will probably be higher than that in the long term. Yeah, we've certainly seen that if Jonas doesn't like a player, he has literally That's zero it. interest in playing them, yep. which is also, you know, it's something that at Chelsea, obviously we haven't had to deal with because Emma Hayes has been there forever and has overseen, you know, everyone who's come into the squad. So it's, you know, part of the kind of unique element of squad building when you do have managers coming in and out. Um, let's talk about Arsenal-Chelsea as a meeting because I feel like this has become a really fascinating fixture in that Chelsea have kind of had the edge, I would pretty much say, over the past couple of seasons. There's been some quite comprehensive wins with the exception, really, of the game at the Emirates, which is mm -hmm. probably Arsenal's best ever result at the Emirates because they tend to play the the showcase fixtures there. We've kind of seen it in the Champions yeah. League and then they don't always necessarily work out for Arsenal. So what kind of perspective do you have on what this fixture's kind of come to represent in the past couple of seasons? Yeah, I mean, what it represented a couple of seasons ago was probably the end of Joe Montemoro to be honest, because this fixture is so outsized and Arsenal just came to a stage where they just couldn't win it under Joe. Like, they could win all the other games under Joe, but they couldn't win this one and they couldn't really even get near it with, like, one exception from a game at Meadow Park that finished 1-1. And, and and it just wasn't working. And, and I think in the end, he was just at a bit of a loss and just thought, well, I, I don't think I can crack this. So very very outsized importance for Arsenal and the biggest one of the biggest measures of Arsenal's improvement in the league last season was that they didn't lose against any of uh, United City or Chelsea and you know look the game at the Emirates probably a draw would have been a fair result I think both games a draw fair result either one of them could have gone a goal either way you know if Leah Williamson um, you know if the if the referee understands that Leah Williamson has hands and they're <laughs> they're sticking out, then we probably lose the game at Kings Meadow. So or, or you know, there's an offside decision. Do you know what I mean? Like they've come to reflect since Jonas has been in the actual, I think, um level, Ar Arsenal's actual level, because when Arsenal was still a really good team under Joe, but they just didn't have this fixture. 
They just didn't know how to cope with it. And it wasn't that the gap between the two teams was enormous. It was, you know, overall, it was just that game that Joe couldn't crack. So it's, it's had massive importance for Arsenal. And, you know, that game at the Emirates last year was, I, I think we got Chelsea on a good day just because it was the beginning of the season and the Olympics and Chelsea you know, didn't start Frank Kirby or Sam Kerr that day. I mean, that's like a big, big advantage, um, you know, if you're going to play Chelsea. And like I say, things went our way a little bit. Um, but I, I think really th this game, again, is going to have an outsized importance, I think. Chelsea have already beaten United and City, and I do think that's a bit ominous. Um, and and so from Arsenal's perspective, it's got to be, well, we've we've got to, like, at the very least, not lose this fixture. And again, last season, that draw at Kings Meadow, both teams won every single game after that. And so that 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 fixture really decided the league. And, and I think the two fixtures um, this season, but I mean, particularly, obviously, the one in May, but um, we'll see, like, what, what shape the teams are in at that point. But at this point of the season, I think this is with both teams on kind of identical records and Arsenal have the harder fixture list in the second half of the season. Like, this is definitely a must not lose for Arsenal, put it that way. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting what you say about Joe, because actually we've obviously seen, you know, Jonas and Emma have this very fiery kind of back and forth, which I think they both enjoy a lot. And I, I actually think that's, you know, a really interesting thing maybe about what Jonas has been able to bring to this fixture is of this, you know, feeling of being like, we're here to compete regardless. And I feel like that's kind of fed into the Arsenal team and to... I guess, come back, like, for that Kings Meadow fixture and, and get the draw and, like, totally evenly match Chelsea. Um, you know, I think even the, the penalty decision aside, a bit like the Arsenal win at the Emirates, I don't think I'd have walked away being like, yeah, Chelsea really deserved to win that game if they got the penalty and scored. Yeah, yes. But to come back from, like, the FA Cup result and all of that kind of stuff, which, again, you know, has an asterisk over it, I think, because of the players who Arsenal were missing. Um, do you think this kind of fixture and Jonas's attitude to it like in some ways sums up what he's been able to bring to the club maybe from that personal side rather than the tactical side 100% and you know you look at um you know him on the touchline particularly in that first game at the Emirates like I th all quite deliberate I think like he pisses he is, me he... off and that's what he's supposed <laughs> to be doing do you know what yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly and like um you know, he, he's animated anyway, but he's dialed that down. And I think I think he's dialed it down for two reasons, right? I think that the main reason is just that the team are more used to what he wants. And he actually, he came out with, sometimes he comes out with these great like Instagram type quotes after games. Like you can tell he reads a lot about like sports psychology. And someone asked him about, you know, um, being like being so animated on the touchline. And he said, so, I think he said something like, if you want your players to bring the heat, sometimes you've got to bring the fire. And I think it was because he was trying to transition Arsenal into more of a pressing team. And initially he was thinking, I've, I've got to show them that every, like this is something he's big on, is like every minute of every game counts. And he talks about how in Sweden, he lost the title on goal difference once. And he said it left a massive mark on him because it made him just think, it, it, there's probably another game in that season that his team won 2-0. If they'd have won it 4-0, they'd have won the league. And he's like, I want every minute of every game 
for us to be on it. I, I think also there was probably a slightly unsavoury incident with, I believe, Martha Thomas when Arsenal played West Ham last season. And I think at that point he dialed it back a bit and thought, okay, maybe that was a little bit OTT. So that, but, but I definitely think he was trying to plant a bit of a flag in that first Chelsea game. I, I don't think you'll see him do that. Um, for example, this time round, I think he's probably a bit more comfortable with with what he's asking his team to do. But definitely, like, you know, big shots fired <laughs> at times from Jonas and like quite often that don't relate to the question he's been asked <laughs> whatsoever. Like sometimes he just comes in and just thinks, I, I want to say this, so I'm going to say it. Um, and I'll just use whichever question to, as a tool to say it. And and I definitely think there there, there has been like a kind of, yeah, that sense of we're here, we're here to compete. We're not apologising about competing and, and things like that. Maybe he felt that that wasn't there. I, I don't think you'll see that as much this time, um, he says. I mean, in some ways, I look at Emma Hayes and I look at Jonas Eideval and I think, you know, always going for it on the touchline, likes to use press conferences to say whatever they want to say, not answer the question, and obsessed with buying creative players when maybe they don't need them. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Like, you know, it's the it's the old, like, kind of peas in a pod thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, I, I, I do. I think they are similar. And, like, Arsenal... The other thing that's interesting about this fixture is when it was Joe, it was a complete, like, clash of styles. But now... Arsenal have moved a little, you know, they're not like Arsenal don't really play like Chelsea broadly, but they've moved more towards that. They've moved more like the aggression, the more front foot willing to counterattack. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Yeah, definitely. Like much more willing to press, not afraid of a long ball, not afraid of a cross into the box, like a bit more direct. And um, yeah, and, and I think I think that's made the games more interesting as well. That leads us on quite neatly to talking a bit about where you think this game might be won and lost. We were working together earlier and you were talking before about how this game felt like it was defined on the Jisoo-Yun-Kim little battle. There will be no Jisoo-Yun, um, so mm. it will be a little bit of a different uh, you know, competition there, particularly in midfield. But is midfield the area you still feel like will be really crucial? Yeah, if if I'm Jonas and I'm Arsenal planning this game, like of what I've seen of Chelsea this season, basically, is that, you know, obviously Melanie Leopold's and G, that's like, you know, not the whole midfield gone because Sophie Ingle's still there. Erin Cuthbert, who just seems to play a completely different position every season. It's almost like Emma just turns to her in June and I, I'm looking forward to seeing her up front at some point, to be honest, when Emma's just like... Do you she know could what? probably do, you, do a decent job, let's be real. Yeah, do, do you fancy a season up front? Okay, yeah. Um, but but like of what I've watched of Chelsea this season, obviously like really tried for uh, Guerrero from PSG, like really clearly, really want that midfielder. And what, what it looks like to me is that more than ever, Chelsea are just missing the midfield out. And that, like, you know, I two of Sophie Ingle, Erin Cuthbert, Jess Fleming, all, you know, really good competitive players, all great ball winners, but, like, famous last words, not prolifically creative or anything like that. Like, you know, you, you perhaps wouldn't get, like, um, you know, a one-two and a, and a through ball or anything like that. Like, primarily, that midfield's kind of there to compete and cover um, and so if I'm Arsenal, I'm probably thinking, OK, our midfield is the one part of the team where 
where it's actually reasonably together and it's the players Jonas really wants. And to be fair, at, at the back, it's like that as well. One of the things that's interesting about Arsenal this season, what they did um, to cope with the loss of the two centre-halves, if you look at um, where they win the ball back, this season it's gone much higher up the pitch because what they kind of used to do, and Jonas said this to me a few weeks ago, was he felt that basically Leah Williamson and Hafaeli, you can kind of leave them on their own and you can leave gaps because they're good enough as one-on-one defenders to cover some of those. And he said, like, we couldn't really do that anymore. So we had to close up. But when you look at the data, Arsenal are winning the mid the ball in midfield a lot more. I think that's also because Frieda Mornham's there and, and she's very good at that. So if I'm Jonas, I'm probably looking at that and thinking, I, I think we're stronger than Chelsea here in this midfield and particularly with a, with a player like Kim. So I I would be looking at that definitely which is again not to downplay Chelsea's midfield like there are no bad players there um it's just like not necessarily creative players and also how Arsenal press as well the extent to which Arsenal don't let Chelsea skip out their midfield if that makes sense so you know getting on Millie Bright and stopping her from like hitting those long passes and one of the things um, from what I've seen that Buchanan's really added is that dribble out of defence. Like she loves taking the ball out of defence. And if you're not, you know, Chelsea don't build by passing to one of Cuthbert or Fleming. It's either the Millie Bright long ball or Buchanan dribbling out. And that's because they don't really want to pass through the thirds. And so how Arsenal exploit or disrupt that, I think, I mean, I don't know if it will hold the key to the game, but I, I kind of want it to, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think that does make sense. And I think it will be really interesting. I'm looking forward to the, you know, all Scottish Kim Little, Aaron Cuthbert matchup that we'll get, because obviously Aaron, that's where the position Aaron's kind of like come in to fill where, where G did used to play. Um and, you know, we we spoke about it earlier in the episode, but obviously Melly Lipot's coming back into the team soon, like might make that a bit mm-hmm. bit more interesting as well. But I don't think we'll see her start on, on Sunday at the very least. Um, all right, that pretty much leaves us just on uh, result predictions. So <laughs> I heard what you said earlier. Are you sticking with yeah, it? Have yeah, you yeah. changed your mind since then? I No, no, no. I, I am sticking with 1-1. I, I do fancy that, yeah, I do fancy that the two teams might cancel each other out I'm not I you know I'm just not confident enough yet in Arsenal's ability to score goals to go and really win this game but I do think that they can be defensively and tactically tight enough not to lose it um hopefully so yeah so I'm going I'm going for 1-1 I think it will be similar to the game in February at Kings Meadow yeah I I think it will I feel like a draw does kind of seem like the most likely result, even though I am now backing the Chelsea win. Um, But I agree. I think both teams might feel like they're almost showing their hands too early by going all out for this game is maybe the way I would phrase it. Um, But Tim, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, For everyone who wants to get Arsenal insights, I don't know why they're listening to this uh, (laughs) podcast, but you are a very interesting and intelligent man. So where can they find you? Thank you. I'm on Twitter at Stillmanator and probably about 50% of your listeners have me blocked. So, and that's, <laughs> okay. that's absolutely fine. <laughs> you can block or unblock Tim as you wish. Obviously, Arsenal-Chelsea taking place on Sunday at 12 o'clock UK time. Abdullah and Nick will be back 
with the review. I'm taking the day off because I'm having it as my birthday party, so I'm going to get drunk. Um, so I will see all of you uh, midweek. Um, but yeah, uh, enjoy the game, enjoy the review show, and you know what to do, Chelsea fans. Keep the blue flag flying high. Oh, 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 o